0: expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW
1: you you realize it's not the same
2: world your ancestors left a lot's changed in 300 years you're telling me
3: we've moved past things like intolerance prejudice the Skagorans abducted my ancestors captain turned them into slaves. That was a long time ago. Now we tend to have long memory when it comes to that sort of thing. I understand. But if you do make it back to Earth, you're going to have to leave all that behind.
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, October 11, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn, And this is Just Right on CHRW
1: 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. Oh, not on right wing. Just right.
3: Fade into colour. Colour into black and white. Under the bedclothes. Everything on
2: the right. And welcome to the show today, where, as always, the number to call is 519 661 3600 if you want to join in on the conversation today, or write us at feedback at justwritemedia.org. And today, our themes are going to revolve around three basic themes, and I would have to basically classify them as culture, religion, and journalism, because we have joining us on the live line someone that I've known for quite a while, and that happens to be Christine Williams. Christine, are you there?
0: Yes, I am. What a pleasure, Robert.
2: It certainly is, and it's certainly a different situation... You it know, sure is. But putting the shoe on the other foot, you know. Talk you're so- about it. Yeah, you're someone I keep <laughs> running into.
0: The other end of
2: the mic. <laughs> I guess you can say we're on the line with Christine Williams. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> she's someone I keep running into, no matter how differing our fundamental beliefs in some, some way. We just keep-
0: can't get rid of me there, Robert. Yeah,
2: we keep meeting at those crossroads, don't <laughs> we? <laughs> Not
0: just crossroads. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, Christine does join us today as herself, wearing none of the many specific hats that she does, where from time to time, as to host of Crossroad Television systems, on the front line which I was on, on the li- on the line viewpoints, World Report, Inside World Report. You're also a federally appointed director with the Canadian Race Relations Foundation.
0: That's right.
2: A member of the Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center Task Force against anti-Semitism. You're a journalist, nine-time international award-winning talk show host and producer at CTS's TV in Burlington, Ontario, which is where I assume you are now, is that
0: correct? That's right. And I and you forgot the Gatestone Institute.
2: Still getting to it. i got a list here. <laughs> and uh, I-, I was also surprised to learn that you were a past political and crime news reporter and newsroom editor.
0: That's right. Uh, and, that's... and that was my radio days, my early days of reporting.
2: Interesting. And you've also served as a regular national columnist with Metro News. That's
0: right. And
2: you've provided news analysis on political and diversity issues. You have, your writings, that is, have appeared in Front Page Magazine, USA Today Online, Islamist Watch, Wall Street Online. And as you said, the Gatesstone Institute in New York, where you are also a senior advisor. Now you're really a mover and a shaker. We thought that we might divide the show up a bit today, sort of starting off on 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 the journalism side of things. Does that sound okay to you?
0: That sounds perfectly fine. Do
2: you, in the in the field of journalism, would you regard yourself as a more of a person who reports the news or a person who makes the news, or is there a fine line? to draw between the two of them?
0: I think it's a blend, Robert. I think when when you're reporting on the news, bias is very difficult to avoid, first of all. I'm gonna start at that point. When you look at every publication, every media outlet, you're going to see a bias, which actually begs the question, is this person making the news, or are they reporting the news? Which brings us to the spin, and this is something that you find in every news story, a certain spin. Lately, I find, though, that that spin has become perhaps too profound. We see it a lot in, do I dare say, the leftist media, the leftist press, which seems to be the dominant press here in Canada, And the issue here is that there's a bit of a a breakaway from the actual news reporting when it used to be who, what, why, when, and how. It's become now, let me put my, my commentary into it. So it becomes a blend, and that blend is even reflected in the title, sadly enough. And a lot of busy people today, what they do is that they see the title, they see the headlines, and they judge a story based on the headlines, which is very dangerous.
2: Do you see that as a positive development, or is it something the public is looking for? I know myself, I often uh, appreciate knowing a person's viewpoints, if you might want to put it that way, uh, where they're coming from when they are reporting, because I think a lot of us are a bit suspicious, even of the so-called uh, neutral objective reporters, who who perhaps we think just are hiding their bias. Is, is, is that how you might see it, or would you not look at it that way?
0: When one looks at bias itself, I don't have a problem with bias and with spin. The problem I have is when you take a story and you leave out important angles to that story that are necessary to allow the reader to come to his or her own conclusion, even though you might present a bias, it is still up to the reader to come to his or her own conclusion and if certain facts of a story are left out or you have too much of a spin from the journalist that's reporting on it then the facts themselves become very skewed and you end up missing very relevant facts to that story. Once upon a time it was very clear when somebody was editorializing and when they were choosing to report on a story but now that line has become a bit fuzzy.
1: Christine, bias by omission uh, is what you're describing there. And it's not simply just the story and facts about the story which people omit. It's actually whole stories. For example, you have guests on your past shows which people wouldn't have even considered touching with a 10-foot pole. I think of uh, Hert Wilder's Um, I can think of Bob Metz or Paul McKeever, people who... thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody would touch you with a 10-foot pole, Bob. And I'm serious about that. You think you'd ever be on the CBC or CTV or things like that? I think you may have been on CTV, actually. Well, once or twice, and then they don't have me back. (laughs) Yes. It's because you, you deal with things and fundamental issues about politics that nobody else deals with. Now, Christine, you have had these people on, and it seems that you are drawn... To controversy and and fr- especially free speech issues, um, is that is that more is that accurately describing you?
0: What accurately describes me is that I'm very drawn to free speech issues and I'll I'll call myself a truth seeker. I like to get to the bottom of the story and I'm a justice seeker as well. So leaving out these folks that you just mentioned, like Paul McKeever, like Robert Metz and like, (laughs) like Gert Filders, you're leaving out a very huge part of the puzzle. I mean, in my humble opinion, these people, yourself included, of course, are the ones that, like myself... We seek the truth. We seek what is really at the bottom of that story. We want to know the various viewpoints, and we're not afraid of expressing those viewpoints. And that is a problem that I see in society. There are those that, whether it be agenda-driven, whether it be fear, whether it be driven by um, politics, the power, the money, the, uh, which comes from the command of who owns the particular media outlet, there are many reasons that could combine to do this. But I seek the truth, and this is how I like to, to view it.
1: And that's, that's what endears us to you and CTS, by the way. I've, I've actually been on CTS with Rhonda London uh, a number of years ago. And some of the questions that you and uh, other, other people at CTS are asking are very fundamental, trying to find a truth I found, at least in my opinion. For example, if you're on the mainstream media... Um, and you're talking about health care, it's usually about how much should we spend here, how much should we spend there. You would ask a question, and, and your fellows at CTS, like, why do we even spend anything? In other words, you're getting to the root of the purpose of government in a lot of cases, and you would ask those questions, and your guests would ask those questions, and that's something you don't see in the mainstream media, and I think that it speaks to the bias by omission that you were talking about earlier.
0: Yes, and another major a fundamental question I would ask is if you're going to be spending money in the healthcare system, let there be some form, some type of accountability. Where's that money going? And who are the ones that are pocketing it? Is it a top heavy organization? When we look at the whole notion of patient care, is it directly going toward helping the patient? Who are these patients? There are questions that the public as a taxpayer, I think have the right to know. And this is what drives much of my questions when it comes to my guests, getting to the bottom of what is truly out there that people are not hearing in the news. Well,
2: that certainly seems to explain perhaps some of my appearances on your show.
0: <laughs> oh, <most> definitely. <laughs> because
2: I'm interested in those issues. But you know, You're I candid. Would... You're candid, Robert. I, I, no, but seriously, I... I I was very surprised when I would be invited by a network, CTS, because it's a network that's kind of known as, I would say, a network with a, quote, unquote quote, religious bias, uh, whether it was Christian or other or or a mixture of religions. I've certainly met many people of many faiths there. Yeah. Um, is there a bias in the religious sense when you're reporting the news? How, how, how do you, like, what makes... Uh, Your news reporting from a, quote, religious perspective, perhaps different from a secular perspective, or do you even see a difference in that regard?
0: What I found very... I I saw this as very positive in the realms of what I call balanced programming at CTS-TV. I mean, there's the CRTC, we're under regulations, we have to have a certain amount of of Canadian content, and balance, meaning... Various perspectives in the political domain, in the religious domain, the right, the left, and so forth. And we were in the realms of balanced programming. So for that reason, we more fell under the secular type of a mandate for our shows. But I will say in in answer to what you just mentioned there, were we perhaps skewed toward religion, that is a very important question because it actually relates to what a lot of people today try to purport as total separation of church and state when we look at our leaders. I don't believe that a perfect separation is ever possible because one cannot separate from one's thinking process, from one's worldview. Now, whether that be motivated by Christianity, whether it's Buddhism, no matter what religion it is, even if you're an atheist, the point is that you cannot separate yourself from your various uh, beliefs about what governs this world and how it's governed. So, to say that well, were we skewed toward a certain religion? Well, I'm a Christian personally, so my personal belief is Christianity, but I'm also a true seeker, and based on that, I'm very fair when it comes to my questioning, and and we have featured many people that do not necessarily espouse the views of crossroads Christian communications.
1: What I find interesting about that, Christine, is that I think you're absolutely correct when we talk about the separation of church and state or mosque and state it doesn't necessarily have to apply with our media because that would be turning a blind eye to a facet of society that a great uh, number uh, of canadians adhere to and that is a spiritual realm even a religious realm or an orthodox realm that we wouldn't want to see for example with the cbc as a state um voice but we certainly wouldn't mind it with um, CTS, CTV, Global, or any other private news network.
0: Now, based on based on what you said there, I mean, when we look at, and and I know we're getting into um, a, a religious sort of a debate here, which, which, which to me is fun. if you're fine with it there, Robert. <laughs> there are those that have that say they have no belief system when it comes to religion, and there are those that do. If we look at our system of democracy, for example, we're based on what is typically seen as a Judeo-Christian democracy. This, of course, does not mean, and I don't advocate this, by the way, that we go in Parliament, or we even across the border, we go um, to the White House and preach, and preach Christianity, and expect everybody to follow it based on exactly what our tenets are however we're based on a system of human rights that came from the old and the new testament now i'll give you an example take india for an for example and i'll give you a name here there's um there's a ministry there called the dalit network and there's um souza's run that now, I had the, the wonderful opportunity to interview Beryl D'Souza, who, um, who, who is the daughter uh, of the founder of that particular network. And she's a medical doctor, and she has actually addressed um, the U.S. government, the House of Representatives, um, um, in terms of um, revealing what is going on in India and some of the human rights issues there. And when I asked her personally, why is, is the persecution so strong against Christianity in India? Her her um, her reason to me was that Christianity as a whole, we, we we value human beings. In fact, we see it as humans are created in the image of God. Therefore... Everybody is equal, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, no matter what religion you happen to belong to, whatever your belief system is, there is a respect for humanity, for life, for creation. And based on that, we have that model of our democracy based on the universal declaration of human rights. However, when you look at some other um, systems, like what I was saying in India, you're looking at a caste system where everybody is not equal. And when you're not equal under such systems, or as I know we're going to get into, Sharia law, then you're looking at serious um, inequities in those systems where humans are often valued as little more than animals.
2: I I hear everything you're saying, and you know, I've told many of my friends and and acquaintances that even from my own appearances on your show and other shows at CTS and in debates and conversations with other representatives of other religions, including um, Islam and various others, most of the guests I've run into are very much into that separation of church and state. They have a secular view when it comes to government, and I found that very surprising, even among many differing religious uh, uh, viewpoints. Yes, we're going to take a quick break now. When we return, we're going to be talking about uh, Muslims facing tomorrow, which was uh, you. That's where you met my co-host Robert Vaughn. Is that not? That's correct? right. Isn't yes. that funny that you should meet him this long after having met myself? Actually, we met uh, before with with uh, Saleem Mansour's launch of oh, his book. Oh, you did too. Delectable that's true. Rye. Here yes. in London. That's true.
1: Yes, uh, we
0: did.
2: When uh, we will return in two minutes, right after this break.
0: I think I was poisoned.
2: You think? Why?
0: I believe I was poisoned because I was on the verge of confirming a terrible suspicion.
3: Yes, what suspicion is that?
0: That Peter Lyman is the serial killer known to the police as the tarot card killer. What? I assume you're aware of that
3: case. Yes, I wrote an article two years ago when the tarot killings first started, but Peter Lyman? My God.
1: Peter Lyman, hard to believe it, if he did turn out to be the tarot killer, what a story.
0: I knew you'd appreciate it when you said you're a reporter.
1: This would be a dynamite scoop, and I got it first. Still, although it's a tantalizing thought, did you inform the police, or was that too sticky?
0: I didn't know what to do, so I phoned my lawyer, and I asked his advice on whether to report it or not. And I thought I heard this click on the phone, you know, like someone had been listening. Later that day, after tea, I died, suddenly.
1: That is suspicious.
3: You have listened to the words of the non-believers. Yes. I have listened. That was the first transgression. You felt the pain of warning? Yes, I did. Why did you listen further? They said they spoke the truth. Their truth. Is truth not truth for all? The truth of your nada is your truth. There can be no other for you. Repent your disobedience. I must know the truth of the world.
1: I must know the truth of the world too. I'm on the line with uh, Christine Williams, talk show host and journalist. Uh, hello again, Christine. Hello. Now, we're going to be talking in this little bit of a segment with um, people who are looking for the truth. Muslims facing tomorrow, and on Sunday, September 30th, there was an official launch of this group in Toronto, and I was there with Christine and about 160, by my count, other people, mostly Muslims, and. It's pre- the president of the organization is Rahil Raza, uh, Vice President Salim Mansour, a frequent guest on this show. And the whole idea of the Muslims facing tomorrow is that there's a huge number of Muslims out there who are, <laughs> to, to put it very mildly, dismayed by the way their religion, as they defined it, is being taken over by. Um, for example, the Taliban and, and the Muslim, uh, Muslim Brotherhood, and trying to impose a political Islam on the West. Would you would you consider that to be the correct way to, to look at Muslims facing tomorrow, Christine?
0: You know, this whole issue of what we see happening globally and even domestically when it comes to Islam is is very complex. Simply because there are so many. Um, various forms of Islam. We see the Sunni, we see the Shiite, we see um, Wahhabism, which is the most um, violent form, if if you want to phrase it that way, because that is the problem that we see today in terms of the aggressive form of of what is presented by Al-Qaeda and so forth. But we also see the Muslim Brotherhood. We see more modern forms of Islam. The bottom line, what I'm getting at is, Islam over the ages, and I I don't profess to be a, a scholar when it comes to Islamic issues, but I know enough about it to know that it has gone through a tremendous growth process and continues to. And may I dare add that with globalization, it's very difficult for any society to stay isolated today, simply because... Everybody, most people have a a cell phone. There is that accessibility for the rest of the world. So that also feeds into the evolution of what we see happening with Islam. Now, there are those who want to adhere to the most strict forms of Sharia, and those are the Wahhabis that we're talking about, the the most traditional form of Islam um, seen by the Sunnis. But we're also seeing other forms branching off, such as the Muslims facing tomorrow. These are the Muslims that have chosen to live in Western society and they do not take with them, common to some of the fears um, of many people, this ideology of conquering the world and establishing an Islamic caliphate. Rather. They come to a country, they embrace the society, they see themselves as Western citizens of the land that they have adopted as their own, and this is what they want to do. They believe in the separation of mosque and state. They believe in the Koran, how they choose to practice it, and their many interpretations. But more importantly, they believe in our brand of democracy. They believe in free speech, and there are many markers that would allow you to be able to identify somebody that calls themselves a true moderate, such as those members of Muslims facing tomorrow versus other Muslims that will tell you, yes, I'm a moderate, but really, they're really a member of the Muslim Brotherhood.
1: Now, there's a difficulty uh, when you confront the Muslims in society, and I have to um, bear witness to this, uh, that when I was at that meeting, what went through my mind very first of all, was the notion of taqiya, which is that in the islamic faith it is morally acceptable to lie uh, to infidels myself um you- some would interpret it, um, it's morally acceptable to lie to save your life, to survive. But others have taken that further and say it's morally acceptable for Muslims to lie to uh, non-believers in order to infiltrate them. So that's going through my head when I was listening to the speeches by um, Dr. Zudi Jasser and Rahil Raza and Salim Mansour. Not so much Salim, because Salim has proven himself to be quite... A uh, liberal and forward-thinking Muslim man, but I didn't know Raheel Razan, I didn't know Zudi Jasser, but after I've listened to them and researched them online, I'm going, what kind of evidence would me, would I, as a a uh, non-believing, non-believer, have to take to be able to trust these people that what they're saying is the truth that they are willing to integrate into a western society to put aside those aspects of islam that others like the shiite um, want to impose upon us what evidence and the evidence is as dr jasser said consistency and a public repudiation of those aspects of islam did you get that sense there christine
0: absolutely in fact i, I was actually one of the speakers there i gave a fifty minute speech yes. when i was there and they have me on their board of advisors um uh, i might as well announce it and and because you'll be one of the first to know i'm actually putting together a book that that explores um moderate islam and what it means and how to identify the very uh, whether one is truly uh, a moderate muslim well we'll have and to have Sudi you back Jasser on the show was, my, <laughs> <laughs> and was actually my first guest <laughs> for that book now this 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 point that you make about taqiyya or Al taqiyya you say that it is perfectly acceptable. I'll take it one step further, because for many Muslims, they will tell you it's not just acceptable, it's advisable that you lie to the infidel and say whatever you need to say in order to conquer. Because the entire purpose of such Muslims from the Muslim Brotherhood, from, um, that come from the lineage or the, um, the practice of the Wahhabis, it is to conquer by any means possible. So if it means lying to the infidel, then you are advised, in fact, if not commanded to do so. But there are certain certain signs that you you see. Some people, in my experience, try to complicate it and say that you need um, months or years of experience and conversation to understand, to separate them. But I have found even doing interviews for on the line, on the front line, that, and and I'm talking extensive interviews here, that there are common questions that you could ask or that you could find out in conversation. And I'll give you one example that came out, one very simple example in a show when we featured Gert Wilders and another Muslim. At the end of that show, and I I presented this in the event Muslims Facing Tomorrow, I asked that fellow, do you think you should have the right to criticize Mohammed right now? So he danced around the subject, and you find this a lot, that you won't get a direct answer. You'll get anything to try to escape that answer, but I pressed. I said, I'm not asking you to criticize him. I'm asking you, do you have a right to criticize Muhammad? He would not answer that question. He kept on dancing around the subject, and I said, look, I don't even want you to criticize Muhammad, nor am I asking you to criticize Muhammad. What I'm doing here is simply asking you, if you so chose to criticize Muhammad, if you chose to, do you believe that you should have that right? That man will not answer that question, which means he is not in line with our prized free speech that we hold high in our democracy. So you would find that Islamists do not recognize free speech. They totally believe in the concept of blasphemy and that speech should be restricted based on criticizing, embarrassing Islam or Muhammad, which is one telltale sign that they're not true moderates. Another one regards Israel, the right of Israel to exist. When you start getting into this type of a conversation with Islamists and you start questioning them, do you see Hamas... As a terrorist organization? They refuse to answer. Do you see Hezbollah as a terrorist organization? They refuse to answer. But when one looks at the Palestinian charters and the Hamas charters, and it is their plain upfront, the obliteration of Israel, and this is the desire of that charter expressed in the charter to obliterate Israel, how could you not call such organizations that espouse that terrorists? But they will refuse to answer that question, and they refuse to recognize Israel's right to exist.
1: So what should we do with people when we discover that they are refusing to integrate into well, our society? First,
2: if you don't mind, Robert, no, I have a question for Christine. If they refuse to answer, isn't that fly, doesn't that fly in the face? Shouldn't they just lie to you then? Wouldn't that be consistent with <laughs> no, that philosophy yeah. we were just talking about? Why not just say, yeah, I do believe in free speech?
0: That is a very interesting question, but if somebody told me, yes, I believe in free speech, my question back to you would be, I'm not asking you whether you believe in free speech, point blank. I'm asking you, do you believe you should have the right to criticize Muhammad here and now? And that presents an incredible problem.
2: Yes, because because they... it's so
0: answering, mm-hmm. they're actually being deemed as being proponents of criticizing Muhammad. So they're now walking a fine line of blasphemy. So they won't answer that question.
1: But back But even just to asking...
0: declare it in public is to declare a right to free speech and in, and to invite people to criticize Muhammad. So they're in a, a checkmate of a position.
1: So what should we do when we find these people? And uh, should we just route them out and say, this person is not integrating into the West, he doesn't believe in free speech, take note on this person? Much like we are supporting people like Raheel and Salim and, uh, and Zudi, um, we should likewise decry anybody who... It uh, says that Hamas is a, a peaceful organization.
0: I, I believe that we should decry that. Now, there are those like Gert Wilders that will close the door on Muslim immigration altogether. I, I don't think that will happen in our country. We'll continue to have debates about that. I cannot see that happening. Personally, I don't think it's a fair um, concept, a fair ideology. It creates a lot of emotion, even when you bring up the subject. There are those that say, yes, we should be closing the door on those who don't espouse our values. But we also need to understand that we're a multicultural society, and we're not about to keep out people based on their belief and their faith. However, this does not mean that we kowtow to these people and allow them to come in this country and tell us what we can and what we cannot say
2: great point to end the first half hour with because we will be returning on that very subject and theme when we return after this break and we'll also be talking about later in the show the assault on Christianity as well that we see going, you know, in our midst and even as non-Christians, Robert and I can't help but see it happening you know, you don't even have to be subject to it, to be aware of it. So we will return with Christine Williams after these breaks.
0: Listen to him, Chakotay. What does he say to you? (laughs) He says you are home, huh? I'm leaving the tribe, Father. What? I asked Captain Sulu if he would sponsor
3: me at Starfleet Academy.
0: And he would do such a thing without even discussing it with me?
3: I told him I had your approval. Ah! I kept him as far away from you as I could. Well, you've never fully embraced the traditions of our tribe, I know that. And you've always been curious about other societies, and that is why I allowed you to read about them. Because I believe that ignorance is our greatest enemy. But to leave the
0: tribe... Our tribe lives in the past, a past of fantasy and myth. That
3: past is a part of you, no matter how hard you try to reject it. Other tribes have learned to accept the 24th century. Why can't ours? Not the place of a 15-year-old boy to question the choices of his tribe. I know. That's why I have to leave. You will never belong to that other life. And if you leave, you will never belong to this one. You'll be caught between worlds. I ask for your blessing, Father. <inaudible> again? No, I'm just not hungry. Want to talk about it? it? It's Nog. His father's pulled him out of school. I see. It's not fair. Nog can't even read. School's not going to be much fun without him. You can still get together with him after school? Maybe. I don't think he wants to be my friend anymore. Did he say why? He says humans and Ferengis don't get along
0: usually they don't
3: but you're the one always saying that we should make friends with other cultures
0: i believe that and i'm glad you believe it too but human values and Ferengi values are very different we've never been able to form a common bond
3: so nog goes his way and i go mine
0: these things happen
2: and that's uh, that was actually a clip from deep space nine where I guess it had to resolve, maybe some cultures can't get along. Do you think that's an inevitability with some situations, Christine?
0: I believe, sadly enough, that it is. I mean, we see um, the kinds of killings and warfare happening um, between various cultures, especially in the Middle East. I mean, we even see it among Muslims, the, the, um, the Shia and, and the Sunnis. And we we see the objective, the calls from from the Hezbollah leader, from the Al Qaeda leaders, calling on death for the infidels. So, if if somebody wants to kill me or kill you, I, I would say that constitutes not getting along.
2: I would say so too. <laughs> 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 but but certainly the issue is broader than that. Robert, you were going to bring up uh, an interesting point, something that is almost going to happen here in Ontario this Well, week.
1: actually, yeah, as soon as uh, I mentioned it to you, yeah. during the break, our controller cuts in and says, Christine wants to know if we want to talk about Reverend Jones and Berna Day, and I certainly do. Christine, what's your take on this whole uh, issue of bringing Reverend Jones to uh, Queen's Park to debate um, the Quran?
0: Well, well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to preface that by saying that there's a bill before Parliament right now, Bill C-43, um, I believe, and... Yes. That bill, um, it's indicated by what's for the public good, um, public policy considerations, whatever that means. For example, and I'm going to ask, um, just throw a question out there. Suppose, and this has happened before, you have a Muslim cleric um, coming from the Middle East, which we have had and had to block, um, and he's preaching about um, beating women, um, murdering homosexuals, and we've seen that. Um, Do we allow such a person to come here and incite that kind of a violence and that kind of a hatred? So this bill, it's a work in progress. There's been no decision made on it. And I'm curious to see how it's going to end up because I do believe that for the safety of the public and under our hate laws and what's being spread in this country, that we do need to be careful what we let into this country and, and the problems that it could create, including anarchy depending on who that person is. But looking at um, a, a man like Terry Jones, I, I personally, I, I can't see a problem in allowing that man into the country unless, um, unless they feel that it's going to cause some kind of an outcry and some kind of a violence. But in this case, there's a fine line when it comes to free speech. And all of that has to do with do you condone or do you not condone what Terry Jones does by burning up the Koran?
1: Well, I think there's a distinction, and I'm glad you brought it up, between free speech politically, whether it's political or religious, or inciting to violence, inciting to break the law. And so uh, the border control, I would say, or the, uh, the government, has to be able to make that fine line and make it very clear, because this bill, as I understand, is a bill to allow the government to say people cannot come into this country um, if it's against the public good. And that's such a nebulous criteria, I think they yes, they, they cannot do that. They, that. That leaves it to the minister to basically say, okay, I'll take you and I won't take you without defining why. And I agree with you, to keep some people out if they're going to try to incite uh, seditious crimes, uh, uh, that may be okay.
0: Like in June 2010, Dr. Naik, I mean, Zakir Naik, he came, he was an issue coming into this country, and this is a man that's preaching that Muslims should be a terrorist, that Jews are our staunchest enemy, so not allowing him inciting hatred and violence is one thing well, perhaps but a man sh- who might create disagreement is another.
1: Perhaps we should allow him in and then once he does incite to riot or violence, arrest him <laughs> I, Great point
0: that will decide.
1: yeah, because then you what you're doing is prejudging him before you let him in. So let him in. Let him say his hateful things and then arrest them for the incitement to riot and to break crimes. Perhaps that's the way to do things.
0: Perhaps it is, but we're certainly a, a country where it's it's a work in progress
1: mm-hmm.
0: as we as we um we expand and we evolve.
1: And we certainly don't want to go down the road of, for example, Europe. Uh, for, you know, in London, you've got uh, the Tower Heights community, which is basically a Sharia-only zone. You have over 800 Sharia courts in England uh, or Great Britain. Yeah. Um, we should learn from their mistakes. And how can we do that? What would, what would you say that we have to do to prevent ourselves from becoming another um, uh, Europe?
0: I think Muslim courts... And um, Sharia courts are an absolute um, disgrace. I think under no circumstances should be allowed. Right now, we're actually seeing a case in Toronto that's going on in court, where this this this, this, this lady, um, Radija um, Carey, if that's how you pronounce her name, Randija, um, was was um, allegedly murdered by her husband. In fact, she was it, the attack was so bad that her her throat yes. was slit so bad that she drowned in her own blood. And this is a case that goes under an honor killing. We saw what happened with Axa of purveys. In fact, reports are saying that honor killings are on the rise. So the biggest question is, do we want that in our country? Some years ago, back in 2004, I mean, we narrowly escaped it here in Ontario. And your question is, what should we do to prevent that from happening? I call them backdoor Sharia successes because um, from way back in 1991, Ontario, Um, is a great example because they ended up um, changing um, the the Arbitration Act to include um, faith-based arbitration and that was just to to settle family disputes, ones like divorce, inheritance, custody issues, which would be outside the court system. Now back then, okay, that was one thing, but progress that now to 2004 when we came close to a primitive version of Sharia law in Ontario. CARCAN, back in 2004, they actually released a statement in in favor of these arbitration courts and in favor of moving forth toward that primitive version of sharia law and they actually refer to it as a form of accommodating the needs of religious minorities it's it's within of a the multicultural wedge. society they know the right words to use mm-hmm. to fool us and even, and this is something I mentioned with Muslims Facing Tomorrow, that Rowan Williams, that's the Archbishop of Canterbury, he actually paved the way for Islamists back in the UK when he said that adopting parts of Islamic Sharia law will help us maintain social cohesion. So we need to put an end to that by what you had asked earlier, are some societies and some cultures incompatible? And our democracy is totally incompatible with Sharia law. And it took the moderates like Raheel and some of the folks that we saw with Muslims facing tomorrow to keep Sharia out of Ontario when it was proposed, and eventually Dalton McGuinty decided to um, put an end to it.
2: Now, I know that I'm probably opening up a can of worms with this, but it it gets into the same issue. Um, You you said in your front-page interview, I think a year or two ago, you referred, and this this interests me personally because my ex-wife was, of course, from Trinidad, which is your country of origin... And you described, quote, Trinidad was a model country of a predominantly Christian, Muslim, and Hindu population, living peaceably together, even celebrating each other's holy days. That was until the beginnings of aggressive Islamism in the late 1980s. I remember my mother-in-law at the time warning me. At that same time, she said to me one day, beware of Eastern mysticism and I didn't really know what she was talking about. What was the history there in a nutshell? We don't have a long time, but I'm very curious about that. What actually was happening?
0: Well, Trinidad like we see happening in the West, because Trinidad's a very westernized nation.
2: Yes. We see the
0: same problem with aggressive Islamism, political Islam, expanding globally, and we've seen it in Trinidad. And back in 1990, um, a, a fellow well-known by the name of Abu Bakr, I mean, he's, he tried a coup against Trinidad in 1990. That was a failed coup. But ever since then, this, this global call um, from Islamists to, to pick up the sword, either that or be true to your, um, your, your Muslim faith. And and be and, and establish the Islamic Caliphate. There is a goal to establish that Islamic Caliphate, and nowhere is exempt today as this aggressive cancer spreads. So Trinidad is really no; it is not immune to those same forces, and we've seen that risen up, rising up in Trinidad like everywhere else.
2: It's interesting because I was I spent a lot of time in Trinidad during the seventies, and I I always felt very comfortable there and I was a minority there being among the whites and um, I never felt uncomfortable even going. It was a
0: model country.
2: It truly was and um, I've always said well you know look at Trinidad to see what Canada might be like in, in the years in the future. And uh, that's why I was interested in that. I'm I'm, I'm glad you uh, enlightened us on that. Going to take a quick break now. When we return, we want to talk about this assault on Christianity and perhaps the issues of faith and other issues that maybe are somewhat personal in some degrees, but I think uh, very important to um, the whole debate that we find ourselves in. We'll return right after this. <laughs>
3: Captain's log, Stardate 53049.2. We've docked at the Marconian outpost and agreed to mutual visits, so I'm allowing shore leave to anyone who wants it. Commander Tuvok has objected to taking on too many visitors, but security issues aside, I'm looking forward to a cultural exchange and making some new friends. Doesn't it look like Christmas morning in here, Commander?
0: You have to admit, the generosity of our guests is very impressive
1: as is their proclivity for criminal behavior this morning's security report
3: broken odn line some missing personal items damaged scanner relay all in all not that bad there is a second page to the report well, some of these incidents are a little more serious but on balance i still think we did the right thing there is a third page come on tuvok after all the xenophobic races we've run into Don't you find it just a little refreshing to meet some people who value openness and freedom? Well, as far as I'm concerned, opening the ship has been a fascinating experience and an unqualified success. I'm very pleased.
0: Me too.
1: I am pleased that you are pleased. If you'll excuse me.
3: What is it, Jerry? Well, that guy in a motorcycle thinks I'm a nut. Is that the kind of god you are? How come you didn't let him hear you? It's a policy of mine. I try not to work with more than one savior at a time. Savior? Me? You do your job
2: right. Uh, I can't take this job. I, I, I don't believe. I know, I know. But even non-believers want what they've got down here to work. Well,
3: have you read the papers lately? It, it ain't working.
2: That's why I came, to tell
3: everybody I set the world up so it can work. Only it's up to you. You can't look to me to do it for you. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh. You can do it. It's only one message. Moses had a handle ten. But, but you gave him tablets. He had a bad memory.
2: <laughs> Moses had a bad memory. We're on the line with Christine Williams of the Crossroad Television Network. And Christine... I know you have described yourself as a person of faith, yet most times when I hear you speak on political and social issues, you, you sound very much like what I would call a person of reason to me. And when, when we talk, I, I find that you and I share values, but perhaps not necessarily beliefs. We've talked about this off the air from time to time. And when, when you say you are a person of faith, what do you generally mean by that?
0: So robert i i believe in scripture but i yes. also believe in that spirituality your religious faith is something that's very near and dear to your heart i there, there there are others there there are many people that believe in and and i respect them for it people are called to different missions uh, according to my belief, mm-hmm. and 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 there are those that will they'll speak to you, Robert, and they'll try to convert you to Christianity. And I say, fine, that's that's their prerogative to do so. But generally speaking, the way I practice Christianity is yes, I talk to people. I I'm quick to talk about my beliefs. I'm quick to answer questions about my beliefs. But I'll prefer to answer questions about my beliefs, for example, than to approach a person and start trying to haul them in to my beliefs personally. And you ask me the personal question, that's my personal answer. That's, and
2: that's that's the, the proper way to do it, I think. I, I feel the same way about my secular beliefs as well. And I and I found your, your response to that question to, uh, I think his name was Jim Cantillon yes. in 2009. And you said something that I could relate to when you said you described, in that point, a person of faith as someone who does not define oneself by one's own handicaps and limitations.
0: Absolutely. But can
2: see beyond them. And I thought, well, now that's a huge insight to me.
1: And you that, that makes me a person of faith. Ed.
2: <laughs> well, cuz I agree with there, that, there that statement. Is, there is a degree of that and that's why for some people's faith means trust, it could be ho- hope, is it is it a belief in something in the absence of evidence? I don't think Christine would necessarily put herself in that camp, although I'm, I shouldn't be speaking for her.
0: <laughs> I think you're being perfectly fair. Am I? I think you're being fair. I I think faith is 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 um is something very personal. And there are many, many ways to practice it. I mean, Christianity is a faith, and I I, I firmly believe in the authenticity of the gospel, and that's my prerogative to do so. But I also believe that there are Muslims out there, there are Hindus out there, there are Buddhists, there are all kinds of faiths. And in our country, and that is the beauty of our country, they're all free to express their faith. Or should I say, should be free to express their faith. Because it seems like more and more, as Christians try to express their faith. They're being shoved in the cupboard.
1: Exactly. And we have uh, a couple of books out recently by Michael Mm -hmm. Korn, Why Catholics Are Right and Heresy, which list a litany of um, grievances against, I shouldn't say grievances, uh, um, actions against the Christian faith in particular in this country, to the exclusion of other faiths, and just as an example, you have um, the outlying of the Lord's Prayer in, in in public schools, which, by the way, I would agree with. But on the same token, you have these same public schools opening up prayer rooms for Muslims.
0: Yeah, totally unfair.
1: Yeah, the the, the uh, cultural and and moral relativism that is being on display here is quite blatant. What do you say to that, Christine? That your faith is being uh, singled out. And, and is being uh i don't know punished perhaps
0: it's i i think it's being both i think it's being both singled out and punished and one of the problems that i see when it comes to fighting back i mean i i know many christians that have chosen to fight back and secularists like yourself that are actually fighting on a christian's behalf however there are many christians out there with the belief that we turn the other cheek and uh, and and i don't always see it the same way that some of these will see it. and I'll give you an example, and I know I'm walking a, a thin line here, but even when you look at the example of Christ and, and, and how he ended up on the cross, he largely opposed the order of the day, spoke out when he was asked questions against some of the rulers of the day. So what about the whip of cords when you went through the temple? Is that turning the other cheek? I think sometimes The whole notion of what it means to turn the other cheek ends up being interpreted as becoming a doormat as opposed to standing up in faith, if you will, for what you believe in and trying to preserve the blessings, if you want to call it that, of the pulpit where you can stand in a church or what, wherever you happen to belong, even in a synagogue, because I've heard attacks there too. Where I know one rabbi that he stood up and he had his beliefs according to his faith about homosexuality, and he got chastised for that, and and taken and taken through the ringer because he's also involved in some secular work and he was punished for having that belief or we see it in motion 312 where um where um, rona ambrose um, stood up in support of that and now she's being told well you cannot represent women you should be resigning as a representative for the status of women because you don't want to believe in pro-choice so there seems to be this, this judgment upon Christians that if you represent a certain value and a certain view in society that you're not welcome and that you are um, somehow prog- um, stopping progression and growth in society.
1: Now the Human Rights Commissions in this country, the whatever they are, eleven of them, um, have had in the past a number of Christians brought forward for their beliefs, whether it's the homosexual issue or not, and yet no Muslim, to my knowledge, has appeared before them for preaching the exact same thing. What do we do about this double standard?
0: We need to fight this double standard for sure. Now, we're all aware of the case with what happened with Ezra Levant and how he yes. fought tooth and nail. But there's something very sad about his case. He was already a man that was well-known, a man that uh, of means, of voice. What about those people who don't have that kind of a voice in, in, in our culture, in our society, and don't have the lobby to back them the way he had? There are many people that we have not heard about that were dragged before human rights commissions, and they should not have been, and they were virtually bankrupt as, as a result of some of these cases and we don't hear about them we only hear about the very prominent cases Stephen Boisson was another one that we saw out west and I, what i found very interesting about that was that um he spoke against homosexuality yet it was a gal that came out and said that they supported his right to free speech because if that goes maybe they're the next target so What we see happening in society, we need to stand up, let our voices be heard, um, get more involved, don't leave it to the other person, call our politicians, and make some noise when it's warranted, and keep discussion fully on the table, because I see a trend happening where certain ideologies are attacked while others are accepted. But to try to silence a group, to try to silence their rights... You drive it underground, and it becomes, it becomes a detriment for society as a whole.
2: I agree. You know, there was an interesting suggestion, I don't know if you saw it, made by Robert Fulford on September 22nd in the National Post, where he suggests that perhaps the route to discover uh, the truth is blasphemy itself. And he suggested in his article, In Praise of Blasphemy, without blasphemers, there would be only one acceptable religion in the world today. And he suggests that uh, you know this is something we need. It's the it's the it's the other side of the coin of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. He says blasphemy is a challenge of official doctrine, and it helped create the freedom over the centuries. It still needs to be created in many countries, such as Pakistan and Indonesia. And he calls it a corollary to freedom of religion, and that sure. it in fact, expresses the right to have no religion and the right to disdain all religions and and he points out how even the creators of protestant christianity were all denounced for blasphemy at some point in time and i found it interesting in light of the fact that you ran into some guests of 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 muslim persuasion who did who who were who wanted to see laws against blasphemy uh... enforced might that be part of the key because i think we saw the blasphemy laws. I, I, I
0: think what I, I think there's there's a lot of merit to what he's saying that we often see um, chaos or people's um, feathers getting ruffled, and as a result of that, it's, it's these highly emotional battles that we see that actually bring issues to the table and create change. Otherwise, something else festers that should not, for example, blasphemy laws. Now. Um, Jones Terry Jones is a perfect example of that. What he did with the burning of the Koran, I cannot tell you how many Christians I've heard come out and condemn what he did in anger. And condemning it is fine because it is not the Christian practice or the Christian way to do this. But with that being said, it is also the Christian way to proclaim the truth. And the other part of that, which is the truth, I don't hear these individuals proclaiming, and that is, his constitutional right to burn the Koran if he chooses to do it. Now, you may not choose to do that. It, It may be dubbed morally reprehensible, and in my view it is. However, it's his constitutional right to do so. So I cannot understand the the, the, the attack against this man from, from certain members of the Christian community, which I agree, and I understand that one side, but without mentioning that this man also has a constitutional right, because the Christian constitutional right is very threatened by this whole freedom of speech issue many of them cannot come out and talk about, um, talk against um, um, certain, certain religions or talk against certain practices, including homosexuality, without being attacked. So I find it very peculiar that his rights in this are not recognized, even though it's morally reprehensible.
1: Well said, Christine. As a matter of fact, a lot of what you just said was in your speech to Muslims Facing Tomorrow on September 30th, which, by the way, I have videotaped, and it's uh, almost in its entirety, about two hours and five minutes long, and it's now on YouTube, on our website, uh, or our, our YouTube channel, uh, that is youtube.com slash Media. You'll also find it on our website, JustRateMedia.org. And it's been a fascinating discussion, Christine, and I thank you very much for joining us today on Just Right and giving us your views.
2: It was my
0: pleasure, and I want to thank you for inviting me.
2: Thank you for bringing all these issues to the table. You certainly gave us a lot to consider today.
0: You have a great day, Robert.
2: We'll see you again. Take care. And we've got to go for another week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then.
3: Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be... (laughs) You speak English? Of course. Ah, wonderful, wunderbar! Ah, please allow me to introduce myself. I am the owner of Forty Towers, and may I welcome your war, your war? You, war, you war, you war? And hope that your stay will be a happy one. Will you stop talking about the war? Me? You started it. We did not start it.
1: If yes, you did, you invaded Poland. For <laughs> yeah. yeah. me? You started it we did not start it. Yes you did, you invaded Poland.